This is the Consilience Podcast with your host, Shannon Beer, health and confidence coach and founder of The Coaching Collective, helping dedicated fitness professionals to bring their coaching visions to life by developing the knowledge, skills and strategies to make that a reality. We're inviting you into conversations with experts on body image, compassion and behaviour change to help us challenge our assumptions about health and appearances and critically examine the way that we coach so we can help our clients on a deeper level and create an industry that is truly life enhancing. Let's get into the show. Today I am joined by Tessa Peters who has recently launched a charity called Been There which is a mentoring app for people struggling with how they think and feel about their bodies and she started this due to her own experience and recognizing the need to want to speak to someone who had been there themselves. And she's on a mission to get self-acceptance into the hands of as many people as possible. So we're going to talk about how she is making that vision a reality. And I thought it would be good to start off by asking you, why do you do the work that you do? Thanks, Shannon. Thanks for the intro. Um, why do I do what I do? Well, I actually, I struggled with body image issues for such a long time. I I don't remember when I didn't really probably from the age of 11 or something I was always put on diets and things from a young age and it that did morph the body image issues morphed into an eating disorder and when I there was this crucial moment when I was or this impactful moment when I was lying on my mum's bathroom floor and I just made myself sick I struggled with bulimia and I just felt like I couldn't turn to anyone I had all my family and friends in the house and I was like oh my God, I can't even tell them what's going on. Like I, I felt so ashamed of what was going on. How am I going to tell somebody that I'm eating loads of food and making myself sick? And I, and like, I can't seem to stop doing it. I was like, I just, in that moment, Shannon, and I was like, I never want anyone to ever feel this way, ever feel alone and ashamed. And I've been driven by that. And I've always come, been coming up with ideas of how can I help people? How can I help people? The funny thing is I needed to help myself first. And it was only when I was in a better position that the idea came to me and I do it. So I do the work I do because of my own experience and how impactful finding a mentor, finding somebody who'd been there was for me. It allowed me to speak in a way that I hadn't before. It allowed me to be honest and open and not feel so ashamed and judged, which I mean, we all know the, the way we can feel better about ourselves and um, get through whatever's going on, whether it's recovery is to talk about it so finding people that you can talk to is essential yeah absolutely and yet it's one of the most challenging things to do especially when we feel like we're the only ones who are struggling and you know we know that's not the case and when we're able to open up we really notice that things start changing and feel free to just share as much or as little as you want about your personal journey. But what was the turning point for you where you recognised that something did need to change? Mm. I, so I started dabbling with this eating disorder. Basically, actually, Shannon, I watched Desperate Housewives and there's a model, there's an actor on there called Gabby and she's a model in the programme and she says to the other younger models, you can eat the pizza, but you can chuck it but chuck it up after. So I 
toyed with an eating disorder without even realizing and I just kind of thought I was a robot and it would just go in and out and I didn't know the impact that it would have and still has on my life I guess I didn't really think of it as a problem at the first I was like I was sneaky it was on the sly and then I went back home and I saw my sister we went to um I was working overseas at the time and um yeah, I met my sister at a barn and I told her that what I was doing because I thought maybe she should, maybe she could give it a go. It's really, it was working at the beginning, Shannon. That's the worst part of it, I think. And yeah, I told her and she said, um, she said, you've got a problem. And and I was like, oh my God, I I don't have a problem. I don't want anyone to think I have a problem. I have a problem to have a problem. Oh my gosh. So that I actually, that kind of drove me wanting to work abroad even more because I wanted to be away from anyone who thought I had a problem. Like, no and I was obsessed with wanting to go away and be become smaller and come back thinner and everyone be like oh my god look at Tessa she's amazing like it was literally a driving force I wanted comments I wanted like just to look so different and I think that kind of that came about also because when I went to look on look for jobs on yachts I used I wanted to start working on super yachts I thought it was a cool industry to work in it's a very image focused industry like you have to have a picture on your cv um of yourself and there was a job in italy saying we're looking for a stewardess for three months so my friend and i went went and applied and the chief steward was like i'm going to interview you right now come downstairs and she said to us that i'm going to hire your friend tessa because you're too big for the uniform so that was me saying in my head i'm too big i can't get a job until i'm smaller you know, no one's going to like me until I'm smaller. There was all this stuff growing up about being the fat one. And, you know, not I didn't feel like I fit in. So when I started dabbling with the eating disorder, I first, what you're saying, the question was, um, when did you know it was a problem? Um, was when my sister said that. And then I basically decided that I should stop after about eight years of denial and and still having eating disorder. I um, tried to stop what I was doing. I was like, right, I should probably stop doing making myself sick. Like, that's probably, that's a wise thing to do. Okay, let's stop doing that. And I just couldn't. And I was like, what is going on? And I was so focused on the wrong thing, really, Shannon, on reflection is, I was so focused on not making myself sick, but rather than why, why was I making myself sick? And what was I, yeah, what was I trying to cope with or cover up? Um... And and that's when I realised, like, OK, you can't even stop this addictive behaviour. What are you going to do? So I went to counsellors, therapists. Oh, and there was so many different personal development courses I went on. But there was this thing missing. I just felt like no one got it. I did feel really alone with my problems because I didn't know. I didn't find anyone who'd been there. I would look on the Internet looking for anyone who'd been there or find somebody who's got an eating disorder or something. Anyone. Um, but it was only until a few years later where I went to EDA, which is Eating Disorders Anonymous. Um, so like Alcoholics Anonymous, is Eating Disorders Anonymous, don't even know that existed. And I plucked up the courage and walked through those doors and you can ask for a sponsor, which is what I call a mentor. And they've done the 12 steps program in there in the place to help somebody else. So I immediately was like, yes, I need one of those. And I got given this guy. And then from that moment, knowing that he'd been there, that helped me to really realise I'd really step into recovery and open up and, you know, feel de-shamed. So that was kind of the catalyst. But 
um, a long process of when did you, where was the problem and where was the turning point? Because I think there was, it was a long road of not really realising, not wanting to realise, denial and my period stopped, my hair was falling out, I started to get summer ulcers um, and then I was, then I thought, let's stop making yourself sick. And that was probably the the thing where I was like, ah, okay, you can't do that. What's going on here? Thank you for sharing your story with us. I think that really speaks to just how powerful like the media can be, you know, speaking about these messages that we're exposed to and how it can be quite insidious in that we start to take note of things and we interpret messages in a certain way and they stay with us, you know, and that really can begin the trajectory where, you know, we don't really want to go down, but we we just seem that it seems like the logical thing to do. Oh, well, I want to get this job and I want to be approved of, you know, I want people to comment and to see me. And of course, the obvious thing to do would be to change my body because that's what I've learned is um, a socially desirable thing to do. But as we all well know it does not come without its costs. And I think that question of, you know, what was I actually trying to achieve is really important and helps you to really get to the root of why you're struggling as opposed to just focusing on the behaviors that you're trying to change. Like you say, it's like, I know I need to stop doing this, but unless I understand why I'm doing it in the first place, it's going to be very difficult for me to change. And it sounds like things really did take a different turn when you were able to find someone who could share their experience with you, someone that could make you or help you to feel less alone in what you had been through. And I guess that's where the idea for Been There came about. Um, So could you tell us a little bit more about Been There? What is it and what is the mission there? Yeah, so back to what you said at the beginning about the mission is acceptance, self-acceptance. We have a slogan called the healing power of shared experience. So it's all about using our own experience to help somebody else. So yeah, being that is a charity and it's for people who are struggling with their mental health relating to body image. And we've developed an app where people who are struggling can safely chat to somebody who's been there. So it's about finding that relatable support in a safe way. And that whole premise of EDA and AA, which has been going, as we know, for many, many years and is highly successful. Um, it's, it's, that, it's kind of taking that and making it a little bit more simple and accessible. Because what about the people who don't even know that those places exist or perhaps don't actually have an eating disorder itself? It's, they have a body image issue. Like it doesn't necessarily mean an eating disorder or they don't they don't have the courage to walk through the doors or go back or they don't like the spiritual element or they don't ask for a sponsor. There's there's so many facets. And I, I feel so strongly that we can help each other more. And maybe we don't know how or we don't even have a place to do so. And I w- would love being there to be revolutionising in that because it can start in body image issues and we can, I'd like to go into all different mental health issues and share share through relatability and support each other through the healing power of shared experience. So how can being there help someone who is struggling? What is the process? So um, there's not so much of a process. It's, uh, it's not like a step-by-step um, kind of like recovery programme. 
it's more like having someone to speak to somebody who has been through something similar so they have the ability to share their own experience so when you go to a counselor or therapist it's actually as you may know that part of their code of conduct is they can't say they've been there it's illegal so the mentor you and we train we train our mentors so that you speak about your own experience in the best interest of the mentees and that brings about hope not so much feelings of a shame and loneliness um so yeah it's about creating a safe place where somebody can talk allowing them to think allowing them to speak freely about what's going on without judgment um and setting some goals so what's really going on for them our mentors get super curious with what's going on a lot of the time mentees will come with like ah these are my issues like just throw them out onto the table and it's opportunity for us to get dig and deep and ask and understand and really get to know somebody um and and you know really relate and empower them because a lot of the time people don't have as we know they don't necessarily feel like they have anyway feel like they have somebody that they can speak to and how vital that is to have somebody that you can do that is huge and if that stepping stone for them being able to open up to us means that they can open up to somebody else that is huge we actually can't underestimate that power um sharing your own experience also brings about so much incredible hope for people and it and and it de-shames what's going on for them which in itself is huge so the you know about the shame cycle and that's what kind of keeps us and it definitely kept me in my in my loop of an eating disorder because I felt so ashamed of what was going on um so yeah we get really curious uh with what's going on it's it's all about meeting meeting the mentees where we are where they're at without fixing so a lot of us humans we want to fix okay come on what do I what can I do to help this person but it's all about the mentee what do they think they can do what is we get really it's all about open-ended questions and helping them understand what they need to do to help themselves because no one's going to do something if you're telling them to do it um so yeah I mean our training courses um gives the mentors up to be able to do these kinds of things and we each mentee has one hour with a mentor a week for four months um and then we have two different parts to it so we've got signposting so on our website we've got a list of signposting and we work closely with other um credible people and organizations and then we are developing our own resources um which I think I spoke to you before. So yeah, having credible resources on our website where um, our mentors can direct the mentees to do certain skill-based work or um, anything from meditations to actual like practices that they could do um, on their own. And we want to be like this directory of help um, for people and really weaning out. Because I mean, there's lots online, isn't there? And it's it's difficult for people to know even where to start so if you can just be that one port of call for people to know where to go in terms of what to look at and what's you know credible and what's what's not that's kind of what we want we want to be working towards I think it's really amazing what you're doing because as you say when people are struggling with body image related concerns that can be really isolating whether it's the fact that they are holding themselves back physically by refusing to go out you know participate in social occasions where they feel like their body is going to be on show or where they feel anxious about the food that's provided or whether they just feel isolated in the sense that they find it difficult to be present because they're having these concerns about how they how they look and 
because these concerns can be something that people experience a lot of shame over as you touched upon it makes it hard to to reach out which further compounds those effects of feeling isolated so if you're able to talk to someone who has been there themselves who is trained in a way that enables them to hold space for you whilst you figure out how you're feeling and how you might be able to pick yourself up and take one step forward it sounds like this could be such a great stepping stone for people and we know that you know psychological services are not accessible to everyone and there is a a big sort of barrier to entry and that's where I see the role of being there coming in where you can help to reduce the barrier to achieving change you know where if maybe they begin by talking to a mentor feeling less alone and as you've touched on really having that hope for change because that's one of the most important precursors to change if I don't think it's possible for me to break out of this that's where it ends you know and all I need is actually a sliver of hope which can come in the form of seeing someone else talk about their experiences and how they're now on the other side you know how they've overcome them so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about how the mentors are vetted how do I know that I can trust the person that I'm talking to so we do a a lot of due diligence we have a application form which is actually all on the app so we say to mentors to allow an hour to do so and within that application form there's a lot of questions and one of which sorry two of which which are two references they need to provide one personal and one professional so we do we'll check their application form if that's successful we'll then do the reference checks and then we do in the uk a dbs check if they're overseas we do um yeah such like a criminal record check basically which is a legal requirement in the uk if you're working with vulnerable adults and then we do the training course and the training course is four to six hours long all online live and actually we did our first one last night Shannon and then there's an assessment so it's final assessment just to make sure everything's ingrained and they've got it and the right fit and then they're they're live on the app Um, so that's our due diligence but there's also they're always supported and looked after so everything's monitored we have a moderator they have every groups of 10 mentors would have one mentor lead so they're all grouped in tens which is a nice number for people to kind of get to know each other and support each other and then we have a groups within that or whatsapp groups within those um tens so they have their on call mentor lead and that's their eyes and ears that's their person who if anything's going on that they've anything in life in general on the app what have you they will go to that person and that will be their kind of like on call team leader as it were mental lead and then we do clinical supervision so this is an opportunity for them to bring situations with their mentees to a clinical supervisor and discuss in small groups of three to four where everyone will talk about their own experience which is really helpful for everyone else not just to do it on your own it's really helpful to also all be there together and and it's further development for yourself and learning and then we do a quarterly mentor meetups. So yeah, I know I know you asked me about the due diligence, but I'm talking about the support now too. Um, yeah, and the, there's quarterly mentor meetups where it's not essential for everyone to attend, but we hope it's so good that people want to attend. And it's a chance for everyone to get together. I mean, meet up, I say inverted commas, it's very much uh, online. And just because we have mentors all over the world, which is quite cool. So it's a chance for everyone to get together and further learning so we have experts we can 
do anything from breath work, meditation, yoga, different things on each call. Yeah, so I think that with the groups of the groups that they've got, they're knowing that they're always supported supported by us. The further development that you get, they're fully supported, and we've also got a good due diligence in, for the onboarding process as well. Yeah, there's been a great degree of consideration when putting this together in the sense that both the mentees and the mentors are well looked after. Um, Let's say I am somebody who has been there and I would like to be able to contribute. I want to to help out. Um, What would the training process look like for me if I was to apply and be approved? Oh, awesome. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Uh, So thank you. Please do join and fill out the application form the training course it's all online over two weeks and we'll do four to six hours of training very interactive it's led by thomas mitchley who you know clinical psychologist for over 20 years and he has a a clinic called the body image clinic and in fact shannon when i i set up being there to be for every different mental health problem and then i sat down with the trustees when i came back from I went back on a boat to raise money, to save money and put into the charity. And I came back and sat down with the trustees and they were like, we used to do one area and we used to do it really well, Tessa. So it had to be body image. And that was, it was nerve wracking because it was, I never spoke openly about it before, but it made sense. And that next morning I got so excited. I and I, I Googled body image clinics or whatever. First thing that came up was Thomas Midgley and I called him and I was like, I'm thinking of doing this idea like this is how it works and he was like oh my gosh jump on the teams now and we had a call and he was like anyone who's working in this space like help us he's like he said that we're just up against the biggest wave and he just can't see it going down and the more solutions the better and I mean you know him too it's very and you obviously work in this world too like it's very much we need solutions um so if people have struggled with their own experience of body image issues or even if somebody close to them has and they know what that feels like we have enough training and support to for you to do a a great job and enjoy what you do but I do insist that people do use their own experience to benefit others because it actually not only does it help individuals and bring us a sense of you know fulfillment and well-being it actually really helps us. And I actually learned that myself, Shannon, from mentoring. And I still mentor on the app myself. I love it. And it's this other layer of healing that I just didn't realise was possible by sharing your story, by being there for somebody else. It's huge and it's amazing. So I insist people would do it to not only help others, but themselves too. you are a coach who would like to learn evidence-based tools to support your clients with their body image, then you can check out the Body Image Fundamentals course. Link will be in the description. And you can use the code PODCAST10 for 10% off your purchase. And I completely agree that this is one of those problems that unfortunately isn't going to go away anytime soon. And that's why I talk about it a lot. And especially in the fitness industry, who are potentially one of the worst perpetrators of some of these concerns, being a largely image oriented market. Um, So I think it really is important that we have multiple ways of being able to help people. And one thing that you mentioned, you know, throughout your story is that you didn't quite realize that there was a problem. 
And I think that is part of the problem is that it's hard to know, particularly, again, using the example of the fitness industry, where some of these behaviors like the restriction or the striving to perfect your physique are often rewarded, which means that individuals can find it very difficult to identify what's going wrong when, in fact, they think that these behaviors are healthy. You know, if I'm conscious about what I'm eating, And if I'm very active, that's surely a good thing. So to help someone sort of identify whether their body concerns are causing them problems and whether something maybe needs to change, um, how can we help people to know whether their food and movement behaviors are unhealthy? Mm. I'd say a lot of it um, comes down to how you speak in your head. So like if you're if your head is filled with the the questions that you'd ask yourself or I even used to ask myself being like how much did I eat how much did I exercise did I do enough and it's and it's those kind of perpetuating thoughts and how you speak about them and yourself like I didn't do good enough I'm rubbish I I ate too much I'm just the criticizing it's really important to notice how we speak to ourselves out loud and in our head and you know sometimes people will come out with things like before you know yeah berating themselves out loud um it's really interesting to notice how you how you speak to yourself big time and for for me like I was yeah I would wake up in the morning and I would literally ask myself did you eat too much yesterday Tessa did you exercise too little Tessa oh yeah you did yeah you idiot and I'd start the day in the foulest mood and it would only end to worse things because I was angry with myself it's self-deprecating talk that is affecting us and um I think that would be the first the first thing to really look at um it is life just become all about these rules and restrictions are you giving up on social occasions for your exercise and for your regime which seems like it's just so important what is life to you is it actually working out and being you know kind of quite solo and isolated and all about image or is it about being with the people you love and making yourself feel good like around people we're social creatures and I think that there was a moment when I, not even a moment, I, I kind of was in, I was in recovery, I'd say, but I, my eating disorder moved quickly to a compulsive exercise disorder or what have you. Um, and my sister said, said to me, like, I'm worried about you. This was later on. And she was like, how many times have you been to the gym today? And I was like, twice. And I go before work and after work. And I, joined a new company and I wouldn't hang out with anyone because it was all about the gym gym no socializing why would I socialize because that's calories calories and drinking and it's like actually that was the hardest part part of my life because I was so isolated and I didn't even allow myself to feel the isolation because I'd fill all my time with exercise so then what is life like if I die tomorrow no one's going to say she had a great body they say she was a kind, lovely person who was great to be around or or not because I'll be at the gym all the time. Um, I think it's really important to look at how rigid we are in our heads, where are these rules and restrictions are going on and, and what we want out of life because I for sure don't want to do be doing that again. I want balance. I want to 
be able to eat things without feeling crap about it. I want to be able to go out with my friends and give up, like not go to the gym because the sun's shining, go and lie out in it. Like that's, that's life. And it feels good to like let go of the rules and not go to the gym and just berate myself in it. I didn't think I, I, I think I enjoyed it just because I could see, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the punishment. I think I did. It was another, and that's important to also realize of like, when is exercise enjoyment and punish or punishment I would used to go on long cycles but it was all about the calories it wasn't about the pleasure now it's about socializing chatting enjoying it stopping for a coffee looking at the sun like not going hard and fast on my own to just get as many calories as I can um it's noticing what why you're doing things what is your why do I really need to go to the gym now or can I just hang out with my friends? Like, let's let's get real with what's important here in life. It's not, we're not here for long and we better, we better enjoy it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that really is a great way of being able to distinguish when you're doing something because it benefits you and because you genuinely enjoy it or because you like the challenge versus you're doing it in order to tightly control your appearance. And in your mind, there's a cost to not doing the thing. So you could be someone who genuinely enjoys training really hard at the gym and still choose to skip a workout to hang out with your friends because the opportunity arises and you want to be spontaneous that day. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an either or, but the problem occurs when we marginalize all these other areas of our life that we genuinely do care about because we feel like we have to go to the gym, we have to be burning this many calories and we have to monitor and track everything. Otherwise, dot, 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 in our heads, something bad is gonna occur, whether it's I'm going to gain a bunch of weight and I'll look super unattractive and nobody will like me. And yet the reality is that when we isolate ourselves in that way, we deprive ourselves of the connection that we're trying to achieve by looking, you know, or attaining the ideal physique. So it's a bit of a paradox and it becomes a very difficult cycle to break because like you say, well, I've isolated myself. Now I need to distract myself from the fact that I am isolated and the reliable thing to do would be to go to the gym, which makes it very difficult. So what are some of the things that you do now that maybe you wouldn't have done when you were sort of in the midst of things? Like how has your relationship to food and movement changed for the better? And what has that afforded you in your life? Ooh, I love that. Great. Ah, yes. Food. I mean, I used to never be able to have chocolate biscuits chocolate anything naughty in the house um I wouldn't I couldn't trust myself with it so it was either there and gone quite quickly or I'm not allowed it and now it's nice to feel like I have it in the cupboard and I don't need to eat it you don't need to it's you don't need to eat it and I don't need to eat it because I don't I don't feel like I'm filling a void anymore and I think a lot of the binging was down to not being able to manage my emotions a largely emotional regulation I was even if I was really super 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 happy I still wanted to eat loads I was super super sad super super angry I always every emotion like extreme emotion for me was was it it, it, I needed food it was like this like 
it was it was a it was constant there was no I couldn't even label my emotions they just it happened so quickly the action would happen so quickly and when I managed to slow that down and notice what's going on and I think and it wasn't just slowing down noticing because that's bloody hard work um also analyzing after okay why did you do that okay you felt triggered by this or you felt so happy that you wanted to do this and it was really like I had to do like a mini like experiment on myself of and constantly why did that happen what's going on here um so it was it was it was getting clear on that and feeling forgiveness when I did overeat if I overate it was like okay Instead of going, you're just going to go make yourself sick now. Like, that's just going to alleviate everything. It was a, you are not making yourself sick anymore. So you need to now feel what it feels like to be that full and uncomfortable. And that's not a fun place to be. And I would witness that and, and I would analyse it. Um, and I would try and stop it for next time. So I would, then I, whenever that happened again, whenever I did binge forgiveness was a huge 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 part of it and not just like oh sorry Tessa you messed up it was like I had to sit there and feel that forgiveness like really feel it inside of okay I'm really sorry I've overeaten but it's okay like hold myself cry journal whatever I needed to do like really allowing myself to have that time and give me myself that forgiveness so now I don't need to necessarily forgive myself so much anymore because I don't I don't binge anymore because I'm my emotional regulation is so much better than it was. I'm allowing my emotions. I'm holding myself for my emotions. I'm forgiving myself and being compassionate. I mean, I, I say this, I try, you know, I'm not perfect. I try all the time. I mess up all the time, but I forgive myself for it all the time. Um, and so, yeah, allowing a lot of different foods in my life, um, not being so regimented in terms of timing and, calories like I wouldn't even know what calories it's a lot more intuitive and when I'm hungry I'll eat rather than like that was a good that was a feeling that I wanted that was that was a feeling that gave me purpose it gave me so much like oh that means that I'm going to be burning calories if I'm hungry and it was just such a horrible place to be and now I think exercise I absolutely love nothing more than being outside and I used to just hammer the gym, hammer, hammer, hammer. I remember PT coming up to me saying, what do you, what are you training for? Cause you are hectic. And I was like, and that was me. I was hectic. I would jump around and do everything and anything that I saw online that looked, looked good. And they, if they look good doing it, then I better do it. They're doing loads of burpees. I better do that. Cause they, I want to be like them. And I, yeah, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was just, I would hammer the gym and it wasn't, it wasn't enjoyment necessarily. It was, it was punishment. And now I cycle in a group. We don't even go like that far sometimes. It's just very chill. It makes my life. I don't look at the calories. I don't even have calories on my meter. It's all about enjoyment, getting outside, being with people. Exercise for me now is just fun. It is, it is fun. And there's there's definitely been a lot of punishment along the way. So it feels good to just be like, I don't need to punish myself anymore. What am I punishing myself for? Did that feel good when you're punishing yourself, Tessa? No, it did not. So it's everything is for enjoyment and fun now. And I think that's that's a much better way, much better way of doing 
and also much more sociable around people which we need yeah absolutely you know it's really great to hear how working on your body image helped you to regulate your eating because a lot of people feel like it would have the opposite effect that's a concern that I hear from clients from time to time is you know if I worked on my body image I would let myself go and I would be out of control and it's like actually you end up developing better emotional regulation and learning how to support yourself in a number of different ways and if food was filling a void that was in the absence of hunger, then by working on that, you're actually going to end up with better regulation of your eating behaviors. But even beyond that, the way that your attitude towards exercise has changed is also really significant um, because it shows that it is possible to move because of other reasons beyond just burning calories, right? I'm moving because I like to be outdoors. I like the way that it makes my body feel. It's a great opportunity for me to connect with other people. Like you're removing that appearance focus from your movement behaviors is so powerful because it gives you a lot of freedom and flexibility, but it's also very empowering. Um, so it's great that you are able to move towards that place. And as you say, acknowledging that it still doesn't mean that every day is perfect and there are still times where I do things and then I'm like frustrated but I have the skill set to forgive myself and to focus on what would be helpful moving forward so just to paint a realistic picture for people of what it looks like yeah. I'd also say that like, I was actually and this is nuts but I was actually a chef on a on a yacht um with an eating disorder I know crazy and I never, ever, notoriously, chefs never really eat properly. And I never ate three meals. Like, I never knew what it felt like to, I didn't, I had to relearn hunger and satiety. And if we can allow ourselves to learn those things, because it takes a little bit of time for your body to adjust and, you know, to, to just actually get real with those emotions and, fe- and well, feelings that are going on. Um yeah, I would, I would sit down and I would have three meals and it felt alien. It felt crazy. It felt like, yeah, I, I could be out of control. This is going to make me, this is going to make me put on weight. But I, I needed to commit to recovery and I needed to commit to making myself better. I ultimately, that was a moment in time where I'd lost my periods for a year and I needed, it was like, I felt like it was life or death at that point. I felt like, okay, I can't give life right now my body will not allow me to have a child right now with no periods and that's really scary and you've put that on yourself because you're wanting to be a certain image because what why you want to be liked you want to be validated Tessa okay well really let's think of what's important now you can't currently house a baby and I yeah the three meals a day was a really big thing like all the crew would be like oh my god you're eating with us like you're wow this is incredible and I I came back to England and moved in with my partner and um and he was and when he'd go away or wasn't in in the evening I'd be like wouldn't even bother with dinner or I'd have a bowl of porridge and he was really helpful in that respect because he was like please eat your three meals and like we'd eat good three good three meals and it felt nice to like sit down and make a thing over it like all of my eating in life had felt like rushed and secret and brrr. so yeah I think that was a big a big deal is now to just have those meals 
enjoy those meals, calm down, giving ourselves the time to eat. That was pretty huge and really nice to just feel like you can have a meal now, allowing myself the meal without um, needing to count the calories or um, being fearful, being fearful around the food, just just allowing and enjoying, enjoying, allowing yourself to enjoy it. Like, oh my gosh. I think it's so important to um, just repeat that, like the importance of having regular meals that are well-rounded and actually satiating, including foods that you genuinely enjoy the taste of and seeing that as a good thing. I think when you are caught up in the thick of things, you know, we often see skipping a meal as great. I've done something right. You know, I've saved myself some calories when in actual fact, your perspective shifts to, oh, that's that's an opportunity that I've missed to nourish my body. And that's not something that I want to continue. That's not something I want to repeat. And I think your relationship with hunger is also a big indicator of your relationship with food and yourself more generally. Like you say, do I see hunger as a good thing? Because in my mind, that means that I'm burning calories. Or do I see hunger as something to be feared because I always overdo it when I feel hungry? Or do I see hunger for what it is, a signal that my body requires energy and something that I am more than happy to attend to, you know, by responding, by eating? Um, So I think that that's also a great question that you can sort of ask yourself, how do I relate to hunger? And how could that be different if I had a healthy relationship with food and myself? Um, So to wrap up the podcast, I wonder if you have any advice to um, your former self, you know, something that you wish you knew when you were struggling. What would you wish that you could say to yourself? That is a lovely question. I'd probably come back to what we were saying earlier, like my worth is not tied up to what you look like. Tessa, your worth is not attached to what you look like. Your worth is about who you are as a person, your kindness, your generosity, your like joyfulness that shines out, my energy, which I never seem to, to run out of. And yeah, your worth is not tied up with how you look. You're worthy right now at this point in time. No need to keep chasing and chasing and chasing. You only have this moment now and you need to accept yourself, who you are now. And realise that worth like so inside of you. It's nothing to do with the outside. It's inside and it will shine out of you. And I need you to realise it for yourself, please. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely love that and I completely agree. And something that you mentioned before is, you know, wanting to be liked. And of course, we all have that desire. And in a society that does associate status with appearance like it's only normal for us to make the same assumptions but we can really question that and ask ourselves you know do I want to be liked just for having abs or just for being the fit one or the muscular one whatever it is most of us deep down know that that's not what we want people to to think about us right that's not where we want our value to be placed so you can invite yourself to consider, you know, what do I value in my friendships? The people that I respect and look up to, what is it about them that I appreciate? You know, when I'm having a hard time, who do I reach out to and why them? What qualities do they possess that I really value and would like to embody myself and how might I do that? And the reality is, 
those qualities are not developed when you're at the gym, right? So um, that's just something for us to, to think so for anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about being there either someone who maybe recognizes that they would like to talk to someone or somebody who has been there themselves and wants to help other people in a similar position and where can they go to find out some more about what you do so we've got instagram which is beingthere.app or our website which is www.beingthereapp.com So yeah, more information on there. We've got a LinkedIn and everything too, but it might be easier to go to the website. Awesome. Yeah, I will put the link in the show notes so people can just click straight through. And tell us a little bit more about the campaign that you're running right now, the 100 Mentors. Awesome. And for anyone listening who wants to apply, if we have worked together, particularly on your body image, then I can provide a reference for your application. So just get in touch with either one of us and we can set that up. Well, thank you so much for joining us and I look forward to seeing how the process goes. Thanks, Shannon. That's been lovely. Thank you so much for listening to the Consilience podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, Please do share it with someone who will find it helpful and don't forget to leave a five-star rating and quick review. The topics I speak about aren't particularly trendy or sexy, so this makes a huge difference. And don't forget to join the Empowered Edit, a weekly newsletter with evidence-based tools and strategies to help you build your health and confidence. You will get first access to everything that's going on and insights that I don't share anywhere else. The link will be in the show notes. And until then, I will catch you in the next episode.